Support for I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere comes from MX Publishing. With the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world, new novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com. And from listeners like you, who support us through Patreon. Bonus material, thank you gifts, and more await at patreon.com slash I Hear of Sherlock. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 242, Foundational Fandom. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jack in office. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger streeter regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Welcome once again to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. I'm Bert Wolder. And Bert, are you are you well-founded? I think I'm well-founded. I know usually when I get up in the morning, I know where to find myself. <laughs> I just Sometimes I do look under the bed for a while. And, you know, oddly enough, last week, I think it was last Wednesday or Tuesday, I looked under the bed and I was there. Oh, good. Which, yeah, which was odd, I thought. <laughs> well, you could have been, it could have been worse. I mean, you could have been other places and, and not have found yourself, which is always dangerous. Well, that's true. Well, that's true. Well, from the foundational to the fundational, we would love to be well-funded, and that involves listeners like you. If you would like the show notes for this episode, they are available at ihose.co slash ihose242, where you can find things like the link to our Patreon account, where we are at patreon.com slash Sherlock. For all of our Patreon supporters, we put you into a process that, if you do pledge enough, you are eligible to get stickers and mugs and other things like that as thank you gifts for being part of the community here. And for every single one of our Patreon supporters, you get early notification of the latest episode, and you even get the opportunity to listen to bonus material from us right here on I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. So check that out. Check out the show notes. And of course, you can leave us comments and connect with us on social media through through that very same note. And that is where you can expect to find other Sherlockians who share your interest as well. Now, before we get to our guest here, Alison Brewster, we do want to talk a little bit about uh, just fandom in general. Uh, and there's something I think we've we've each noticed, Bert, and that is, yes, there are a number of people who uh, have known each other for a number of years as part of the Sherlockian fandom. Um, and, and there are people who, you know, congregate in various places, both physically and online. And, well, let's face it, there are cliques that develop, little uh, pockets of friends who are familiar with each other. Um, but here's the thing. I think the other thing we've noticed is that Sherlockians in general are a very welcoming group. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes, I would. Yeah. And it does seem that because there are these pockets of uh, very close friends, people who have known each other in some cases for decades, that to an outsider, it can seem a little difficult to break in. 
Now, when you see all of these people who are uh, automatically congregating. And in that case, in some uh, instances, it may seem as if it's difficult to get at some of the, some of the secrets, some of the, the background that we all take for granted, those of us who have been here for a long time. And breaking into the Sherlockian fandom as part of a group activity um, can seem a little daunting, let's say. So here is our challenge for you as you listen to this episode about foundational fandom. When you consider your relationship with Sherlock Holmes and with the Sherlockian movement, what's missing? What would you like to know more about? What are the things, the publications, the people, the history that might be of interest to you? And let us know. You can send us an email at comment that I hear of Sherlock.com. Or you can certainly comment on the show episodes here. You can, you can even leave us a voicemail if you'd like uh, or, or a, attach a, uh, an MP3 file, a sound file to an email. Our, our voicemail, by the way, is uh, 5-1895-221-B-5. Okay, that's 5-1895-221-B-5. And we would love to hear from you. What would make joining the Sherlockian fandom more enriching for you and a better experience? Allison Brewster graduated from Southwest Minnesota State University in 2006 with a BA in creative writing. She worked retail for far longer than is sane, transitioned to healthcare at a group home, and strives to become a librarian. Allison currently attends University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee for a master's in library and information science. Her graduate target is for fall 2022. Allison's working on a book exploring everything about fan fiction, ranging from its history, copyright concern, uh, why people write and read it, and how it has as much merit as any published book. The working title is We Are Story, the defense and celebration of fan fiction and fan culture. She's also writing two other books titled Foundational Fandoms and On This Day in Fandom History. You can find Allison on Twitter and Tumblr as at FarawayEyes4 and on archives of our own. Allison Brewster, welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Thank you for having me. So tell us, um, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit about how we've discovered you, but before uh, we do that, tell us how you first discovered Sherlock Holmes. Um. Well, I think I I remember reading at least one of the short stories at some point, like in high school. Um, didn't really sit down to read um, the full set until recently for my current projects. But, um, you know, Sherlock's kind of been, you know, everywhere at some point. I've watched things like Elementary and, um, you know, the Robert Downey Jr. movies and uh, see, I, I haven't watched Sherlock, the BBC version yet, but I have seen the Hillywood sisters do their parody version um, <laughs> because uh, they did Supernatural first, and that's kind of my personal fandom or one of them. And so whenever they would put a new parody out, and that was in between two of their Supernatural ones, um, I was like, okay, I'll watch it, even though I haven't watched the source material. Um, so that's kind of how I've I've come to Sherlock Holmes um, here and there. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, so it's relatively recent. When you finished, how long did it take you to read all 60 stories? Well, I've only read the first volume because that was what was available at the library. And it took me pretty much all of this last semester because I'm in grad school and I work two jobs. <laughs> so slow slow going <laughs> yeah but you see you know you're committed when you're doing the sherlock holmes stories while you're in grad school while you're working you're a true fan <laughs> well it's it's not so much being a true fan as much as it is um trying to fit it into what i'm doing for for what i'm writing about <laughs> Yeah. So, so when you say you read like the first batch, so have you read through the adventures and the memoirs, or 
I believe it ended with, yeah, the memoirs, because it was like a Penguin or Barnes & Noble classics thing that we had at our library, which I also work at. Well, that's handy. Yeah. Hey, any any chance you can get them to get volume two? Um, I'd have to go through (laughs) interlibrary loan, but yeah. (laughs) So uh, you were at the DePaul conference, and we had interviewed Paul Booth uh, from that conference uh, not too long ago. And then um, Joanna Draper Carlson as well, who was also a speaker at the conference. Uh, Tell us how you got connected there. Um, Back in 2015, uh, I found out that DePaul University was doing a uh, celebration of Supernatural. It was like the 10-year anniversary of the show at the time. And I was still working retail and hadn't been into school for almost a decade at that point. And I was like, okay, well, I'll write an abstract based on, um, you know, whatever uh, the topic was. I wrote on family in the show and um, Dr. Booth accepted me and he's kind of invited me to um, a couple others. I did Star Trek and um, superheroes when it was virtual um, during the pandemic, and then this first in-person one again was Sherlock. Got it. Got it. So um, it just struck me, uh, you said you were out of school for a while, now you're back in grad school. What are you studying? What are you uh, working on your degree for? Um, well, I got a BA in creative writing in 06 at a little school here in my hometown in southwest Minnesota. Um, most people don't even know it's here, southwest Minnesota State. Um, and then um, I'm going to University of Milwaukee currently for library science to become a librarian. Oh, fantastic. Music to our ears here. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, you, you're on a panel uh, at the DePaul conference, and the, the, describe to us uh, your area of expertise and what you were there to, to speak about. Well, it's more or less a book proposal, and this particular book proposal was different than last year's. Um, I proposed uh, the superhero one was a different book um, on on various topics on fandom, and this one is um, where I ended up splitting the book into two, um, where it's about foundational fandoms. They were eventually that was originally supposed to be spotlights within the, that other book. But I was like, mm, this is going to become its own book. It's too much um, to, to kind of wedge into between different chapters uh, of the other book. So I made it into its own. And then when he proposed Sherlock for the topic um, at the end of the, the superhero uh, conference the previous year, I was like, well, what what more foundational can you get than, than, than uh, Sherlock Holmes? when you look at, at modern fandom, uh, that's kind of, in a lot of ways, where it starts. Uh, I think Star Trek would definitely be, be the, the other major um, starter fandom for what we consider modern fandom. But I figured, well, I'll put a spotlight together. Um, it's very rough, but that's kind of the proposal that I put together to present on the panel um, that I got uh, put on. So where where does modern fandom start? Well, I would say I would say Sherlock's a good place. I would say I read a whole book called Super Fandom, and they were talking more about classical music, which was really interesting at one huh. point, and how in the 19th century, people would basically on their European tours. You know, when people used to do that, they would hit, like, their favorite composer's home or their favorite, you know, where they where they were born or what house they lived in, If you know, where they could, like, you know, go and basically almost do the equivalent of modern selfies, except <laughs> probably not the picture part as much <laughs> with the technology. But it was the same concept of, I went to, you know, Mozart's house. And it was, it was just fascinating to me that a fan behavior that I've participated in for like Supernatural where we've gone to filming locations um, where 
they filmed in Vancouver uh, for the duration of the show, um, that people were doing that with composers. And I was like, yep, fandom doesn't change. Um, but I, I, it's interesting that, that I could, I could say for me, if you give me a text, I don't care what it is, sit me alone, alone with it long enough. I can prove that it's fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) I can, it'll take me time, but I, on some of them, but I can prove it. Um, Dante is self insert. (laughs) Hello. He's basically the main character going through both Greek mythology and Christian biblical mythology. Um, there's an interesting um, memoir, which is also self-insert with weird versions of Jesus and Mary, written by Marjorie Kemp in the 1430s. Wow. I, read, I, I found that out from an article that was talking about it, and I managed to snake a copy from the weed pile at the library and I was like this is coming home with me and I read it and it, it would definitely fit on the archive of our own interesting <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like okay so this has been a long tradition um the the genesis of the idea actually came from watching a great courses on a uh, Arthurian legend and and how different writers brought different things at different times in different places throughout the centuries. And I'm like, so Arthur's just one big fanfic collaboration party. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just started thinking about it. And then I started looking around at all the stuff that I was into. And I'm like, yeah, yeah there's, there's some fandoms that have really set the pace. And then I read um, Thick which is a book on different fandoms, which is where I got really thinking on the foundational aspect. And it covered Sherlock in in like the late 1800s into the 20s and 30s. And then it talked about like the rise of um, Star Trek and Buffy and the X-Files and Supernatural and how each one of them kind of impacted on Harry Potter and, and Twilight. Yes, I've read all of Twilight. <laughs> and I have read all of Fifty Shades of Grey, five books, <laughs> and three movies. And if only so I can, if anyone wants to argue, well, you haven't read it. I can tell you why. On page 56, I'm still mad. <laughs> <sighs> I was really disappointed by the movies because I was like, cool, I like to see people say this. And it's going to be hysterically funny. And then it just put me to sleep and it was boring. And I'm like... <laughs> Hmm. Well, this is sad. <laughs> but now, <laughs> wait a minute. Saying? Now, if if there are five books of Fifty Shades of Grey, yes, isn't that two hundred? Isn't that two hundred and fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> I knew that was something funny. like that. <laughs> oh, good grief! Because basically, she wrote the three book trilogy, and back in my retail days, oh man, we checked in. I checked in probably. Oh God, hundred boxes at least. It just never stopped. Mm. And then I ended up throwing them all away at some point. <laughs> you, or returning you, them. Al- Allison, you mentioned a term, you know, a couple of minutes ago that I just wanted to explore with you. I think it was self-insert. Yep. And, you know, your your reference there. So you really started me thinking here because I never thought of fan fiction, you know, as going back to these like 19th century tours and people visiting Mozart's house and Beethoven's house and all of this. But I think, you know, I think... You're absolutely right, but but tell me a little bit about self-insert. I mean, what what I what I gathered there is that it's the it's the author sort of inserting themselves into the experience that they find very compelling. Is that what that's all about? Yeah, I would I would definitely say so. Um, both both the med- medieval uh, examples of Dante and Marjorie Kemp definitely fit that bill. I mean, the entire Divine Comedy, you're following Dante Alighieri, who is also the author, as he f- goes through the Inferno, the Purgatorio, and the Paradiso. <laughs> okay, well, he's the author, but he's also the main character. So he's basically self-inserted himself into the story. Hmm. And, and Marjorie Kemp constantly um, talks about different... Uh, she has these weird like dreams where she does things with Jesus and Mary. It's really complicated, 
and it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> She's not but, shipping, is she? No. No, definitely <laughs> not. I don't think that would have occurred to her. <laughs> and it's in some in in some cases it's it's actually questioned if she actually wrote it because she was illiterate. So they huh. question if she if she dictated it to somebody. So, Interesting. But she basically is a character in her own text, which is hmm. The epitome of self-insert. I think most people who write self-insert in the modern fan fiction, like if you're writing Harry Potter fan fiction or X-Files fan fiction or, you know, Supernatural or Sherlock Holmes or whatever it may be, um, you're, you're probably writing a character that's going to be the best friend of Harry Potter or, you know, be involved in, in, in the case that Sam and Dean are investigating or you know or john and sherlock you know um but they what marjorie and don and dante are doing are very different because they're like the main star as opposed to this side character that gets to play in the sandbox if you will yeah 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 it's interesting because you know when you think about conan doyle um in in certain ways he uh, he inserted himself by virtue of uh, some of the characteristics of Holmes and Watson uh, showing up in the story, certainly characteristics of his uh, medical school professor, Joseph Bell, showing up in Sherlock Holmes as well. Um, but, but we never see it through Conan Doyle's eyes. It's always through Watson's eyes. He is the everyman for us. And even though he, too, is a medical man, he doesn't have the same... Uh, the, the, the the same makeup as Conan Doyle did. No, and, and I would say his is almost, in a way, if you're going to say Watson is Doyle on some level, he's he's definitely gone out of his way to shroud Watson, I think, a lot more into making him separate from himself. And yet there's those key elements Um put in like yeah that he's a medical man that you know that kind of thing going on yeah well we are going to take a quick commercial break here we'll be right back and speak a little bit more with allison brewster about foundational fandoms stay tuned if you haven't paid a visit to mxpublishing.com recently now is the time to do it Looking through their new releases for the month of June, you'll find no fewer than seven titles from which to choose. Everything from The Experience Club, The Crystal Palace Murders, The Lost World Reimagined in Lego, The Adventure of the Bloody Duck and Other Tales of Sherlock Holmes, Sissy Holmes and the Case of the Dead Hypnotist, and of course he pushed him and other Sherlock Holmes stories, volumes one and two. In addition, it's also a great time to hop over there and check out the MX book of new Sherlock Holmes stories. Parts 21, 22, and 23 are out with scores of new Sherlock Holmes stories. Volume 21 takes us from 1875 to 1877. Volume 22 takes us from 1888 to 1895, and Volume 23 takes us from 1896 to 1919. Some creative storytelling there by a number of authors under the MX book of new Sherlock Holmes stories, edited by David Markham. Whatever your reading pleasure is, you can find something to supply it. Just go to mxpublishing.com and tell them iHose sent you. We are back and talking all about foundational fandom with Allison Brewster. You know, Allison, one of the things that you uh, mentioned as we were uh, corresponding and, and, and setting this interview up is that uh, sometimes fandoms intimidate people. Um, you know, people that are new to something that's maybe been around for decades or more. And I, I'm thinking even about our own little hobby here uh, with Sherlock Holmes, the Baker Street Irregulars, you know, having been founded in 1934, and the Norwegian explorers of Minnesota there uh, in your home state uh, that have been around since the 1940s. 
talk with us a little bit about how, you know, people who are new to the fandom, new to the hobby, can uh, find their way into these very sometimes traditional uh, organizations or organizations that have traditions. Well, I think I think it just depends on what you're doing and like how you're getting into it. I think the internet makes it so much easier today than it would have maybe um, in the day of fanzines um, back in like the 70s, 80s, early 90s, um, where you kind of had to like know people to know where to go. Um, today, there's so many conventions, there's so many websites, there's just there's so many different avenues to get in. Um, and it depends on what you're looking at. Like, you know, do you want to re- read fan fiction? Do you want to, um, you know, do analysis? Do you want to go to conventions? It's just, where do you want to, where are you looking to, to join? And when I started with Supernatural, I was kind of a lurker on, on a website that I, I wrote for, um, a number of years before life got really busy, um, Winchester family business. And, and basically I just, I read a lot of what people were writing at the site when I wanted to get into the fandom because I had gotten into it late. Um, by then it was already into the sixth season, which looking back like, oh, sixth season, you sweet summer child, there's 15. <laughs> you didn't, we didn't know that then, but there's going to be 15 seasons and um you know like at that time I was like I was avoiding spoilers and I was just reading what I had gotten up to and and then I was reading once I got caught up I was just kind of reading reviews and then I would start commenting and I started getting longer and longer comments and eventually then I got asked to like hey would you like to write for the site your comments are so insightful whatever and and so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door there um Harry Potter I've kind of I I read Harry Potter after I got done with Fifty Shades of Grey that was my reward for suffering because I hadn't read Harry Potter until I started this project because when it was new when it was first coming out I was into a fantasy series that nobody nobody cares about and no one's ever heard of from like the the 80s it's as old as I am Uh, David Eddings wrote it and (laughs) most people don't even know it exists but at the time I was like let's see the main character well one of the main characters is 7,000 year old sorcerer and his daughter's 4,000 years old and she's a sorceress and I mean they could rip mountains down if they wanted to or an 11 year old child with a wand I don't know which is more important to me right now so I, I just didn't read Harry Potter but having getting into the fandom now, it's through Tumblr, it's through the Harry Potter lexicon, it's through various, you know, websites that I've kind of dipped my toes into, archive of our own mostly. Um, so it's just it just it depends on what you're trying to do, who you're trying to meet with, what you're trying to connect with. I would say for Sherlock Holmes, um, definitely looking at yeah different websites um i don't know much about like how the baker street irregulars even recruit or you know accept members at this point something on my list to look into um but i would imagine if if people really want to get involved it's better for the fandom to have fresh blood yeah yeah we like to drink it at the baker street (laughs) keeps us young Well, no, you're certainly right about making it easy for new people to come in. And it's one of the nice things is that what's endured, at least on the Sherlock side, is the science societies, you know, and Scott mentioned, you know, one of the ones that's in in your neck of the woods. But there are, I think at last count, more than, well, I shouldn't count because the, the numbers always change, but there are certainly hundreds of local science societies, certainly over a hundred in the United States and then many more around the world. And so there are always, you know, people to find locally and uh, some folks getting together and there's, uh, you know, just a lot of local activity. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as uh, Allison mentioned, you know, back in the days in the seventies, eighties, nineties, 
you know, perhaps when you and I came up in this uh, in this group, Bert, you had to know someone, or you had to be fortunate enough to buy or see a copy of Baring Gould's annotated Sherlock Holmes with a listing of all these societies. Or I remember uh, P.J. Doyle's. Uh, uh, was it uh, Baker Street Dozen? Mm. Uh, there was a listing at the back, and I, I remember seeing that at my small hometown library in Connecticut, and being thrilled to know that there was a, there was a group right here in Connecticut, right there in Connecticut where I was, mm. um, and and that was the key that for me unlocked it and helped me meet other people who then introduced me to other things and other people that I wouldn't have have known about, I, almost like a. Uh, a human-powered internet at the time. And, Allison, what I'm hearing you say is that the internet itself uh, just provides so much more for people, so many different options, and, you know, the, the world is your oyster depending on how you want to engage. But it does need a little bit of organization, doesn't it? I would, I would say so. I mean, I think, I think it's so niche in a lot of ways, um, you know, if you're looking at, you know, the the various fandom connections, like, um, there's a lot of charity efforts in a lot of fandoms, I've noticed, um, for another angle to get your foot in the door, perhaps. Like, for Supernatural, there's random acts of kindness that one of the actors, Misha Collins, started um, for... Um, Harry Potter, it's, it was the Harry Potter Alliance, now it's Fandom Forward. Um, they changed their name for various reasons related to um, certain controversies <laughs> with with certain people. But um, I haven't really dug in as much on Sherlock uh, as I would like to. I'm sure there's, there's charity there as well. Um, so that, I mean, there's charity efforts, there's... Um, fanfic there's fan art there's just meta analysis on various websites there's just there's so many just ways to attack it and whatever you're into um it might start with a couple of people that you encounter on twitter or tumblr or whatever social media you're using that will be like okay hey i like that i like that too and then <laughs> it, it might build into you know, suddenly you have a whole network of people before you know it, and you just didn't even realize that that was possible until, oh, wow, we have, like, <laughs> you know, I have, like, 50 people following me just for this one fandom, you know, that that I know, or more. Yeah, yeah, and I think something that we've seen um, certainly over the last two and a half years is during the pandemic, a lot of these uh, local groups that would get together physically uh, weren't able to. You know, the, the, obviously there was social distancing involved. A lot of restaurants where they would have uh, normally met were shut down. And so everyone turned to Zoom. And suddenly there's this whole blossoming of opportunities now where you can get together and have a discussion. Uh, yeah, maybe every Saturday we've got the theater goers that pick a Sherlock Holmes episode or movie and they talk about it together on zoom um, or we've seen hybrid meetings where people are starting to get back together and they're also including a video camera there so people can feel like they can participate without having to physically go to a place so um, how wonderful it is that technology is giving people the uh, the option to decide you know what they want to get involved with where their passions are and and to still find other people to share that with yeah, I would I would say that that's that's something that's definitely happened in the the wake of the pandemic, and it's almost kind of a silver lining because um, prior to you know I think we almost saw more and more walling off in some cases, um, like again for supernatural the convention circuit, I've gone to several of them. I can no longer afford to go to them, but they they started streaming some of them. Um, they had they had some like zoom only where technically most people couldn't participate like they couldn't talk to the the cast but they could like see them interact mm. uh, i believe and and now i think they're they're kind of putting more and more stuff where you can pay like um 
what is that service where you can basically pay like whatever amount you can and then you can kind of watch the stream um yeah and prior to that they were like pretty much jumping all over anybody if they saw somebody who had had a phone up and they thought they were recording they would be like crawling up their butt even though we know the recording is going to be pretty crappy it's bootleggy and it's not very good but oh my god you can't put that on youtube and and now there's more and more here's the whole panel from you know this particular cast member you can you can stream it and then you can watch it later and just it's it's definitely changed the game and i would think it would also help with a lot of those other niche groups again with the different you know focuses yeah that hey we want to work on this charity thing or hey, we're getting together to talk about fanfic and you're not, yeah, you're not limited by geography either where suddenly now, yeah, you can, you can, hey, if anybody wants to join this Zoom, you know, you, you can all get together and now you have people who are from, you know, somewhere in the United States and Canada and Germany and, you know, wherever and, and suddenly it opens up the world and the perspectives for a whole bunch of different fandoms even more yeah so Allison what was um you know I don't know that we really sort of asked you yet what your experience was at um at the DePaul University pop culture conference what what did you make of that because I I have a suspicion that was probably your first attendance at an event that was just celebrating Sherlock Holmes it was my first one attending uh, just on Sherlock. Yes, um, it was it, it was pretty comparable to the other DePaul events that that I've been to. Um, different focus. It was I was really ecstatic to see that Curtis Armstrong was going to be there because he played Metatron in Supernatural, and I was That's like, right, yeah. I'm like, what's he going to be there for? And then I found <laughs> out that he's just like us, and I'm like okay that's cool <laughs> and i got to sit like the first panel i went to it wasn't his because his was like around the noon hour but the first panel i went to he just ended up happening happening to sit like four seats down away from me and i'm like keep it cool <laughs> and i managed to keep it cool and you know i didn't i didn't fangirl over him <laughs> make a fool out of myself but it was like so it was like for me, that moment was kind of having him there and then having him as a presenter was like, and this is how fandoms collide because they all seem to intersect on in some way. Like just last night I watched, I, I, I'm watching all of Star Trek. That's my current project. Like all of it. I'm into next gen right now. Season two. And Data last night in the episode I was watching was he's such a he's such a Sherlock Holmes fanboy and I'm like oh my god this is adorable he's so cute him and Jordy are like he's he's got Jordy as his Watson and I'm like wow okay so fandoms collide everywhere <laughs> like you just you don't and then I was reading about it because. I, I, at the group home I work at during the day, I put a quote up pretty much every day that I work. And I thought, well, I, t I pull a quote from that episode. And I found out, I saw an article saying something to the effect that um, the Doyle estate had a problem with that episode back in 1988. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Doyle, don't pick the third death. Don't do it. <laughs> Because I am, that's what I'm working on on my current my my other book is I'm I'm writing a chapter on basically authorship and and the the manners in which death of the author occurs. <laughs> Number three is being being kind of well not not a nice person or doing something that might make your audience go nah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not happy with you. Think <laughs> was so so you got upset about the. Data episode. Okay, okay, Doyle. The state. Why? Why? <laughs> well, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a lot of fun either way. It certainly is. So, um, Allison, tell us a little bit about 
uh, this this project that you mentioned that you're brewing up called On This Day in Fandom History. What's that all about? Well, I've been reading all year long um, an On This Day in Tudor history, which is significantly more bloody, by the way. There's a lot of executions. It's Tudor history. It is what it is. And, and I thought, well, it'd be really interesting to see how how the calendar would would look with fandom events with various fandoms like when that movie was released or when that author was born or died or that actor and i started kind of just like god a week and a half ago compiling starting to compile some of that i just put all of supernatural's episodes all 327 of them onto the calendar <laughs> and then i'm just gonna work my way to one fandom to the next and kind of like um parse them out i did manage to put a star trek one on because on the saturday this past saturday uh the 40th anniversary of wrath of khan um happened and it's coming to theaters on my birthday (laughs) for for its 40th anniversary in september and my theater probably won't get it because I, I live in I live in the Shire. I live in this tiny little town in <laughs> Southwest Minnesota, so they're they're probably not going to get it. But if they do, I'm going because <laughs> it's it's as old as me, like pretty much. Yeah. And 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 it's one of my favorite movies, and and um, so I put that on the calendar, and I'm like, this is going to be fun because even if you don't know that particular fandom, you're going to be like, so. Like, Gene Roddenberry and Misha Collins shared the same birthday. Not the same year, but the same birthday. And I'm like, cool. I get to find this, this kind of stuff out while I do this. <laughs> and and I just, I thought it'd be a neat thing. And I, I don't know how how it's going to, how it's going to work. But just looking at um, what, what the On This Day in Tudor History was doing, basically it's just like, okay, here's the date here's the year, here's the event. And, you know, generally hers is much more of a, you know, and on this day, Anne Boleyn was executed. And on this day, so-and-so was hung down and quartered. Like, ooh, okay, cool. Um, Bad day for that dude. <laughs> but, you know, mine, mine's definitely going to be a lot happier. <laughs> Not so much of that going on. Well, I- Allison, you must know, and and if you don't know, I'm I'm pleased to tell you that um, the crossovers between Star Trek and Sherlock Holmes go back at least to 1982 because The Wrath of Khan was directed by Nicholas Meyer, and Nick Meyer is a member of the Baker Street Irregulars, and in the 70s he wrote the Seven Percent Solution, which was a pastiche of Holmes and Watson that kicked off a whole new resurgence of interest in Sherlock Holmes. And see, that's why I think that, that you know, entities like the, the Conan Doyle estate just need to, like, move out of the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, want, you want to make the money, don't, don't stomp on fans. They make the money for you. It's called free advertising. Don't, don't knock it. Yeah, you should have been around when Conan Doyle's sons, Dennis and Adrian, were around. They, they needed a talking to. Because <laughs> it's, it's one of the things that's just blowing my mind. Because I just, I did, I just did take a, a course for, for my, my master's on, on copyright. Of course, most of it was concerning um, what to do in an archive in a library situation. But we talked about various things. And James Joyce... Joyce's uh, descendants needed some talking to, too. Because <laughs> they were arguing about all kinds of things. And, and I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> I'll be curious to see how Top Gun's uh, copyright termination situation goes. Because the family of the dude who wrote the letter or article in, in the early 80s that the original movie was based on mm. they they apparently exercised their termination rights in 2019 which means they reclaimed Ooh. from paramount the rights and they're like hey that movie you just put out no 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 wow <laughs> so i'll be curious to see how that goes yeah it could be a nice payday because yeah 
So, uh, Allison, when can we expect to see some of these projects come to fruition? I know you've got a busy schedule and everything with uh, with work and school, but well, what's your hope? Uh, what, what's your timeline looking like? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have about 50 chapters to write for the one book, and I'm, I'm slow going because, yeah, I, I work a lot, and I'm in school, and once I hit a semester, it's like, okay, everything's about school. <laughs> Yeah. But this is my last semester in the fall because I graduate. Well, good news. I'm sure there are Sherlockians out there who would be happy to help out if you needed any heavy lifting or research or being pointed in the right direction. I'm sure our community of fans would be more than willing to uh, to jump to your assistance. Well, it's, it's on my list to read things like... Um, Fan Phenomena, which I know was um, edited by one of the keynotes at the DePaul event. Because um, the Fan Phenomena series is, is a great, great way um, to kind of dig in. And usually on like the foundational um, fandom uh, spotlight things that I've been writing, um, I'll have like a book list of books you can, you can expand on your knowledge outside of the canon, like, be it Sherlock Holmes, like, and, and the 60 stories, or any of them, you know, the movies, um, it'll, it'll, you know, those fan phenomena books will cover a whole range of topics within that fandom from, um, like, the Supernatural ones got, like, how it influences fans to, uh, do good in the world, to be more charitable, to join political causes, to do, um, whatever's necessary when disaster strikes, etc. Um, that one of my friends actually wrote in that one, the Harry Potter one, will will talk about um, kind of how they're feeling about the current state of the divorce between the fandom and the author. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it watching that in real time has been fascinating. Um, there's, I know there's one I haven't gotten to on Buffy, and there's one on Star Trek I haven't gotten to yet either. Um, but those fan phenomena uh, books are, are a great, I think, uh, starter pack on any particular fandom for really in-depth. Yeah. Um, there's also, um, uh, I know at our library, and I think they're in the process of having their Dewey Decimal number changed because our teen services slash tech services librarian working over Dewey. She doesn't like how Dewey is ranged currently. <laughs> She's like Poor Dewey. Mm -hmm. Well there's there's some there's some issues with Dewey if you get into the library science side of things where you start to realize that basically he's ordered the world according to a white male Christian perspective. So a lot of things get shoved to the margins. <laughs> or don't get classified in a way that makes sense to a modern mind. Hey, you want to know my my interesting trivia point? This is the only trivia I have about the Dewey Decimal System. Isaac Asimov, who was a member of the Baker Street Irregulars, has books in every section of the Dewey Decimal System. Really? I don't know how many we might have. <laughs> I know we've got them in science fiction, but... <laughs> I don't know. I have that might be a puzzle to look for. Yeah. <laughs> I just know we've got we've got quite a few Sherlock books that because we had a whole Sherlock display up front on the the one tower by the main desk, and this would have been in in January. Um, and it, it was like, oh, I'm like, oh, look, this book and that book and that book. Oh, oh crap! Semester starts in like a week. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, there was there was a whole slew of them we have, you know, and it's just, you know, it's kind of the rabbit hole um, on any, any, any of these fandoms I've noticed. Uh, I think I've read at least a half a dozen to a dozen books just on Harry Potter. Mm. And it's, they're like rabbits. Uh, there's always more. And yeah. I, I'm assuming it's even worse for Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you have no idea. Even back in the 1940s, Christopher Morley, who founded the Baker Street Irregulars the decade before, said of, of the Baker Street Journal, which is our quarterly publication, he said, never before has so much been written by so many for so few. <laughs> yeah, because there's, there's, there's definitely, I mean, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of the beauty. It's like the, you know, 
you ever watched the show Monk, which is, in a oh, way, yeah. it's it's a modern version of Sherlock Holmes, if you think about it. Yeah. See, fanfic, everything is fan fiction. I don't care what it is. <laughs> I can prove it. <laughs> you know, he he's basically always like, well, it's a blessing and a curse. Well, that's kind of kind of what this project, these projects, kind of are. They're you know they're basically what I when I get free time, um, I'm either watching whatever I'm watching, like like Star Trek currently, or I'm I'm reading like currently I'm reading the birth and the death of the author for my my author chapter, and I'm you know figuring out what I want to like catalog and on this day next, and I'm like. Oh, I should I should totally read this this next primary source because I in in a lot of uh, historical um, research you'll hear primary and secondary and for me when I say primary I mean Sherlock Holmes stories written by Doyle those are the primary yes they are and <laughs> then and then anything that's written after like our library and I, I I I could spend the rest of my life reading just on Sherlock Holmes. I, I have no doubt because our mystery section, it seems like when I'm shelving or checking stuff in or pulling holds, every mystery writer has written their version of Sherlock Holmes or the daughter of Sherlock Holmes or, you know, Sherlock Holmes modern or I'm like and I can't <laughs> wait till he hits the public domain in full. In, in January, because he will. Sorry, Conan Doyle Estate. You're not going to have control anymore. I can't wait till he goes to Mars or Saturn or something, just for no reason. <laughs> now, I know if I looked at the AO3, that probably already exists, but yeah. seeing it in published form, <laughs> it'll be great because it's like now anyone can do anything and they can't say boo. Because <laughs> it was really weird. They It was in 2015. They had a. Elon McCollin did a. A movie and it was based on the last couple of stories that they do have the control over until January and they got their bee in a bonnet over it and sued and now if you go to the Conan Doyle estate site they're like here's the movie because they they man managed to basically hey where's our cut and they got their cut and now they're like promoting it and it's like all right, so you just want your money. Well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, oh, they got their money, that's for sure. We actually have a whole series where we covered uh, what we call the Free Sherlock Movement. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have a link to that in the show notes there, which included uh, an interview with Mitch Cullen, the author of um, Mr. Holmes. Uh, there, so, uh, or Actually, the author of the book that Mr. Holmes was based on. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Uh, a slight trick of the mind, I think, is mm. what it was. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. So there's there is a lot out there, and uh, Allison, we applaud your efforts uh, in foundational fandom and everything that you're doing to uh, further not only uh, the fandom in the world of Sherlock Holmes, but across all kinds of fandom. So, thank you very much for sharing your journey with us. Well, thank you. Uh, basically, whenever I can finally get them to the point where they're going to be published. My biggest my biggest goals are, first of all, I want them to be published, but I do not want them to be published as textbooks over my dead body. You're not <laughs> going to charge $95 for them, okay? It's not happening. And I, and I want them to be both for media studies, which is basically the realm that these would be more or less targeted towards as an academic level. Um, with you know kind of the programs dr booth would be running um at depaul and so forth um i know he does a whole lot of doctor who watches and i'm like i could have done doctor who of course <laughs> I, I totally totally missed out but like um i want to do that but i also want it to be something that you know the average non-media studies person could pick up and be like cool or you know, somebody who's into a fandom and I'm like, you know, oh, I've never really looked at Star Wars, you know, and I know, I know that's kind of crazy, but there's people out there who just, they've never really gotten into it or it's just never been on their radar or they, you know, whatever. And suddenly they're like, well, it's so intimidating because it is. There's so many movies, there's, and I've seen them all. There's so many, there's so many different things going on with that fandom well, if you had it just distilled into this little section, maybe you could, even if it doesn't become 
your thing, at least you can go, oh, I do know something about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be a great service for mankind. We, we look forward to it. Well, thank you. I don't think we have ever had a guest on I Hear of Sherlock everywhere everywhere, um, before who is, has encountered the cases in the world and literature of Sherlock Holmes so relatively recently, but certainly who also um, for, you know, part of her general life and interest reads Tudor history uh, is, is seeing all of Star Trek um, and clearly is somebody who follows sagas, you know, I mean, she, um, uh, it was such a, such a great conversation. It's so interesting. And then to get her perspective on fan fiction and to have it stretch back to something like, you know, 19th century tours of composers' homes and link it to classical music. Really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when she was talking about Dante and Marjorie Kemp and, uh, you know, the, the, the Jesus and Mary uh, work there and started talking about Arthurian legend, it made me realize that things like King Arthur and Robin Hood and other, you know, of these mythical stories that have taken on, um, you know, more life over the years, these are all fan uh, they're fandoms in, in one way or another. You know, there there is certainly the core story, but it's then been built upon, or it's been uh, you know created into a, a variety of different formats. And you know, we we see this happening again and again. And as I'm as I look on the Intellect Books website, and there is a link to this in the show notes for the uh, fan phenomena book series, they have uh, a a good, oh, I want to say 20 or so entries here. Everything from Harry Potter to Game of Thrones, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, James Bond, Jane Austen, Hmm. uh, the Sherlock Holmes is in there, uh, the Hunger Games, Batman, Star Wars, Doctor Who, I mean... It's really amazing the things that we create fandoms around, and they are by no means limited to uh, just some of the, the... The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski has its own fandom here on the Fan Phenomena page. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, you can create a fandom uh, around just about anything. Here in the ancient Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Wessex, we are still getting over the untimely death of Eloise, beloved of Abelard, in 1163. We've raised our spirits by playing Kiss in the Ring and Thread My Needle. But you don't need cheering up, because you have your copy of A Curious Collection of Dates Through the Year with Sherlock Holmes by Leah Gwynn and Jamie Mahoney. It highlights every day with significant events from the Sherlockian universe. Available right now from our Wessexpress.com. That Eden where the immortal brave dwell in a land serene, whose towers beyond the shining wave at sunset oft are seen. Find your own garden of delight with the pleasures only a new book from the Wessex Press can provide. Choose yours today. Hey, 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 you know what that sound is? Why, yes, it is, in fact, time for Canonical Couplets. We give you two lines of poetry, and then we ask that you put your mind to it and discern which Sherlock Holmes story we are talking about. Now, if you were around here last time, you may remember that we gave you this clue. Four years of subterfuge, 
a nation's secret plans take flight. But from this villain, there will come no glad hand tonight. Uh, Bert? <laughs> yes, yes. Here, here we go. Here we go. You ready? Uh, do you know which Sherlock Holmes story we're talking about? It's so simple. Yes, that's the story about a stolen gem that a villain hid in an almond pastry. That's the case Watson called the marzipan scone. Well, I, I love your commitment to the culinary, but um, in, this, in this case, I'm going to have to give you a resounding niet. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, no, we were, we were looking for... Well, let me, let me have Eric Deckers here to help us with what we were looking for. He says, I've got it. It's the story of how Sherlock Holmes retired to the country and got caught up in the wild sport of bovine racing. It's the story called His Fast Cow. <laughs> wait, wait, that may be the pastiche I've been reading lately. It's His Last Bow, not to be confused with the story about his violin playing called His Last Bow. Uh, very good, Eric. Which, in print, it's a lot funnier because it just looks the same as His Last Bow. Um, yes, we were looking for His Last Bow. Uh, so I'm afraid, Bert, once again, you failed mm. in your attempt. But the good news is we have a number of other people who did give it a shot. And we are going to give the big prize wheel a spin. Watch it go around and see it come down on a number. Oh, number 15. And it looks like, oh, this comes all the way from New Zealand. Shona Marie. Shona Marie Howe. Shona Howe. Thank you so much, Shona. Well, we will be in touch with arrangements to get you something overseas. Now, now that I think about it, Bert, we should probably have a, uh, an international distribution center for IHO's prizes. <laughs> I volunteer to set one up in Bermuda. In fact, I'm packed. Oh. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I like your thinking. Yeah. I like your thinking. Well, uh, let's get around to this episode's canonical couplet. Here we go. Was it nature's settled order that Holmes's client be pursued? First a card game on the water, then a bowling alley feud. If you know the answer to this canonical couplet, put it in an email addressed to comment at IHearOfSherlock.com with canonical couplet in the subject line. If you are among all of the correct answers and we choose you at random, you'll win. And this time around, we have, uh, well, we have a wonderful packet of prizes. We actually just got a shipment in from our pal Tony Kotroki, hmm. who sent in uh, a number of back issues of Sherlock Holmes' The Detective magazine. Oh, grand. So uh, not, not something that's easy to come by anymore, except here and there on eBay. So uh, get your answers in. We had... Uh, we had a smattering of contributions or of guesses uh, last episode, so let's try and let's try and increase those numbers that time, and um, we we will be sure that it's worth your while because there are quite a few uh, back issues here of uh, Sherlock Holmes the Detective magazine. So, if uh, if it's too much for you, you can share it with your friends. Always a good thing. Yes. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of yet another episode, Bert. Ah, that happy feeling of a job well done. A well job done. <laughs> a job done. Well, done. A job. It's just, no. <laughs> well. Oh, yeah. Well, we've done it again. I don't know how we do it. Uh, and, of course, just a reminder, if you do have recommendations for things that we ought to be covering, things that need our attention, you, my friend, are like our irregulars. You are our eyes and ears where you go everywhere and overhear everything and see everything. Uh, that's what we need from people out there in the Sherlockian world. If it's of interest to you, well, odds are it's going to be of interest to another Sherlockian as well. In the meantime... I remain the very interested Scott Monty. And I'm the easily distracted Burt Wolder.
Huh? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> and together, we say... The, the games, games of foot. <laughs> the, the games, games of foot. You know, I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes.